I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. My guest today is Mercedes Herrero, a professional actor for over 30 years. She has performed on Broadway in The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, and her off-Broadway credits include work at the Public Theater, Intar, Manhattan Theater Club, and the original production of The Laramie Project at Union Square and BAM. She has also performed in both classical and contemporary plays at many regional theaters across the country. Many may also recognize her from her extensive TV and film work in all four Law and Orders, three seasons of House of Cards, Deception, Arranged, and The Vanishing of Sydney Hall. Mercedes is a graduate of the Yale School of Drama and a member of Actors Equity Association, SAG and AFTRA. Hi, Mercedes. Hi, Stefan. How are you? Muy bien, gracias. También, muy How bien. Thank you, thank you, muy bien. Thank you for being on American Theatre Artists Online, even in Spanish. Oh my goodness, thank you for having me. Am I your first who's spoken in Spanish? Uh, no, you had... you're not, you're not my first. I've had a few oh. Latinx folks on, on, on our podcast, which is great, right? Because... Uh. You know, I know that you have Latinx background and so do I. We're one of those, you know, we're both Latinx artists who people may not know necessarily were Latinx. I don't know. That's right. I don't know. So they kind of ask questions. Wait, are you, you you know, me more than you because I don't have a a name that people might think is Latinx even. Right. You don't. They didn't put it anywhere in there. No, they didn't. Uh, Yeah, mom. I don't know. But anyway. We we could call you Stefano Citigo. There we go. More yeah. Latinx. Yes, exactly. Okay. I told my mom, she, you know, my mom calls me Estefan. So that's the, you know, that makes it different. But so listen, Mercedes, first of all, thank you so much for being on our podcast. And I am so excited to talk to you because I know that you've been a professional actor for over 30 years now. And you've, right. you've worked on Broadway, you've worked off Broadway, you've worked around the country at various regional theaters. You also have an extensive TV and film resume. You're a graduate of the Yale School of Drama. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things I want to talk to you about. But before we dive into all those wonderful things about you, I wanted to ask, how are you doing during this pause time that we're on due to the COVID pandemic with quarantine? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you for that intro. You make me sound much more exciting than than I am. (laughs) My career to be much better than it is. But thank you. Um, I'm doing well. Uh, You know, it's crazy. I think the hardest thing is for my son um, that his school is upstairs every day. Mm. 
and how difficult it is to get anything done on my own because he's constantly, <laughs> yeah, any parent out there during quarantine knows what I'm talking about, but he's constantly coming down and asking me to help with his homework. And, you know, before he was in school from nine to three and I could focus on the things I needed to focus on. And, um, and that's hard. And in terms of being an artist, it's kind of interesting, you know, that um, everything is online now. So I'm working on a on a possible play with a friend of mine named Katrine Fiu, and we're thinking about well, so should we pitch this as a, a play you can stream, mm. you know? And then the other day, I was uh, asked to audition because even though I'm in Virginia, I'm still auditioning for film and TV or um, a play. I was asked to audition for a play in Connecticut for the Connecticut Repertory Theater oh. to do Pericles. Yeah. <gasps> oh, nice. And I thought, how exciting. And, oh, my God, do I have to go to Connecticut? How does that work? And, and then I realized that the whole thing was going to be online. The rehearsal was going to be on Zoom, and the performance was going to be on Zoom. Can you believe that? I mean, this is the new normal now. Yeah, and, you know, there are negatives and positives, right? I mean, I think, right. obviously, the negatives, we don't get that communal rehearsal experience face-to-face. We don't get the the run of a beautiful, you know, having an audience. You know, we know all the beauty of, you know, live theater and that whole thing. But the positives is, you know, I just uh, I'm, I just directed a play online and uh, one of my actors was in L.A. Oh, wow. And I'm here on the East Coast. So it was great. I would have never been able to cast him in that play. I know, exactly. And like a lot of the theaters are saying that they're getting so many more people that they could actually fit inside a theater. Right. You know? Yeah, because it can go global. Anyone can stream it, right? Exactly. So there are advantages. It's mm-hmm. just that, you know, what is theater if it's not, I am here in this room with all of you? <laughs> yeah, ultimately, that is what we are, right? But I think what's going to happen yeah. is that that this will remind theaters once we get back, you know, hopefully soon, that there yeah. is there is an outreach potential for a digital... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's cheaper. I mean, yeah. I was seeing the other day that um, reading on Broadway.com or whatever that is, that Audra McDonald is going to do something mm. uh, uh, that we could all buy. You know, probably what are the tickets? Who knows? Twenty five dollars versus one hundred and twenty five or two hundred. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And she's exactly. probably going to be a lot closer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I see. I'm getting <laughs> you don't need your binoculars, right? And you know, and yeah, no, I, I hear you. Yeah, it, it, you know. Say, Excuse me, you should stand way back because you can't last. Audrey, you're too you close. Know. Okay. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. You paid. You didn't pay enough, so stand way back. Right. How are we going to control that? Exactly. But exactly. so, okay. One of the things I wanted to ask you. So that's good to know that you're busy and that you're going to do Pericles in Connecticut. Please. Oh no, please. no, I didn't even get a call back. <laughs> oh darn it! Oh, you got called to audition. Okay. That was yes. Oh my God, you're hilarious. Yeah, yeah, you're hilarious. That's great. Okay, okay, but you, but it was great to have the audition. Yes, I loved it. Oh my God, I had so much fun doing Shakespeare again. Right. Well, I was going to talk to you, so I was going to go somewhere else. But now that you you brought brought up Pericles and Shakespeare, let's talk a bit about one of the things that I found really interesting about your background, because um, you have a lot of training in classical theater. Mm -hmm. You have a classical background too, and and you are a Latinx uh, actor. Yes. There aren't many Latinx actors who have a background. I was talking to Gisela Chipe on a previous. Uh, oh my God! You know I Gisela? Love her. Yes. Well, Gisela- she was Ophelia to my Gertrude in a production of Hamlet in uh, the Oslo Rep in Florida. Well, get ready to have your mind blown. Gisela Chipe's what? mother was my drama teacher in high school. No. Laura oh Chipe. Oh my God! Yes. This is <laughs> in Rio. No degree. 
So anyway, Giselle has done a lot of classical work too. And we were starting to talk about, you know, how many Latinx actors there are doing real, you know, heavy classical stuff. And she was like, yeah. And I said to her, in terms of being famous, a famous, you know, there are a lot of people working, but in terms of a household name, all I could think of was Raul Julia. Right. And she said, you know, after she, we talked about it, she said, yeah, and think about it. A lot of people don't even know who Raul Julia is either. Oh, oh. (laughs) so anyway. Can I do a little sidebar? Yes. So I was teaching my students uh, acting one at UVA here last year, and I showed them the scene, uh, which is recorded on a Raul Julia documentary of him and Meryl Streep doing Taming Taming the the Truth at the park. Have you seen the scene? I have. Joseph Papp, right? Thanks to Joseph Papp. It is one of the sexiest scenes. My students were fainting. They were like, oh, my God. I know. Isn't it great? Yeah, they are great, and they do it so well. They do it so well. So So there you go. So... Raul, Raul, Gisela, and you. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk Um, a bit about being a classical actor uh, and and all that training. So where did you get interest in that? Was that something you always liked or something you studied at Yale? Yes. Well, both. Both. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, the first play I ever did, believe it or not, was when I was a freshman in at UVA in college. I auditioned on a whim for uh, as, no. No, not as you like it. Um, Love's Labor's Lost. Ah, yes. For the role of Rosaline. Mm-hmm. And I got it. I couldn't believe I'd gotten it because I'd never had a theater class in my life. Wow. And I think they were shocked that they gave it to me because they, I think supposedly it should have gone to a drama major. You know, I, I was fresh into the school and mm-hmm. hadn't done a play. And to tell you the truth, I think I had more gumption and sort of um, confidence than I did <laughs> understanding because I didn't know what the hell I was saying. Oh, can I say hell? Yes, I didn't you know can say anything. You can curse freely oh. on American oh, Theater Artists. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what I was doing, but I got the part. And <laughs> I quickly learned uh, how what I was saying, right. but it was so exciting. It was so exciting. But I did fall in love with Shakespeare after mm. doing Love's Labors, and um, and then I saw that incredible series that they did in England in the seventies. Do you remember this? Which one? Uh, playing Shakespeare. Ah, with and, um, yes, Barton. No. Yes, Barton. John Barton. John Barton. Exactly. Yes. Oh, oh Betsy. God. Betsy Tucker forced us to watch that. At UVA oh, in drama, oh, yeah, and I'm glad she did. Betsy yes, Tucker? yeah. I love Betsy Tucker. She's, yes, she's shout out to Betsy Tucker. So, so uh, you're watching Barton's playing Shakespeare. You're at UVA and you're going, holy cow! Yes, yes, I got to do this and I got to do more. And um, and then at, you at uh, Yale, I did a bunch of Shakespeare as well because your second year is dedicated fully to Shakespeare. Wow. Yeah. And the directors all have a Shakespeare project because, you know, the, the beauty of, of Yale, uh, one of the beauties of it is that you have playwrights and directors and actors and theater managers and like every category of theater there um, at the same time for, for three years. So that's a lot of directors and they all have to do, you know, the first year project and the Shakespeare project. So you've got so many plays going on at the same time. Mm, yeah. So yeah, did you so, get a lot of, so and then they're training you in, in, you know, there's movement work, there's voice work, all specific, right, to theater or yes, that apply, to Shakespeare, that applies to absolutely. Shakespeare. 
Yeah. It applies to Shakespeare and you have a Shakespeare teacher that's teaching you all about the meter mm -hmm. and the language and antithesis and ladders and, and you're learning how to breathe and you're yeah. learning that each sentence is a thought. How do you I get to the it. end of the thought? You know, it's amazing. It's mm -hmm. amazing. The, and you're learning all these things by day and then performing at night. So oh, fully immersed. You, you get, yeah. You get to practice what you're learning immediately in front oh, of an audience. Great. It's incredible. I remember, you know, in college doing the, the work of Pat, uh, the book Patsy Rodenberg. Is that her? Oh, and yes. Link later and getting all that voice Shakespeare, Shakespeare, vo Shakespeare's, you know, finding Shakespeare's voice, I think was one of the, the, the books and, and just getting so immersed in that and thinking to myself, I wish I could be a classical actor. You know, I love musicals, but I think they're, they're kind of related because they're larger, yeah. they're larger than life, right? They're larger than life. You have to rise with music. You have to rise to the lyricism of, of the music, and with Shakespeare, you have to rise to the lyricism of the words. Yeah, right? So wonderful. Absolutely. When you say you wish you could have, why can't you? I don't know. I did some. I did some, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I was I was afforded some opportunities. Thank you, UVA yes. drama. I got to do Twelfth Night, but 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 um, it was it was one of those things where you know I, it always seems so out of reach, and I think a lot of. A lot of, you know, the, us common folk, we look at people who do the classical stuff and we go, oh my God, you know, because it really does take a tremendous amount of, I mean, it's different than musical theater, obviously, and musical theater takes a ton as well, but it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's so much more colloquial. It's so much more of us, of America, you know, it's an right. American invention, whereas classical theater feels so foreign uh, to so many of us. Oh, because but the I language. wish it didn't. Right. Because the point of it is to make it come alive. Absolutely. I mean, the, the themes are not at all something dusty and that mm -hmm. we can't relate to. I mean, they're, you know, you they say that a lot of times, a lot of the history plays, for instance, or Measure for Measure, mm -hmm. where it's a lot about um, prison and what's right and what's wrong. Like, you do these plays in, in prisons and they are astonished. Like, they get it, you yeah. know, the history yeah. of and uh and and the love you know the romeo and juliet who's not going through that in in high school it's just sure. that the language is elevated right. and, and once you once you make that language understandable then it doesn't matter when the audience doesn't get every word they understand the the feeling and the and the and the and the energy behind it you yeah. know yeah. I, I think that's the onus we put on ourselves as an audience member is like oh i didn't understand that word i don't know shakespeare oh i hate this but just move on you didn't understand that one word but you know Right. And, you know, I wonder if it'll if Shakespeare can kind of, you know, because things have an ebb and a flow. They go up and they go down and, you know, get popular for a while, then they don't get popular. But um, I think that, you know, we live now in such a non-word kind of environment. People don't really focus on language much. They focus on images, you know? Yes, that's true. That is so sad to me because so, I love yeah. I love language so much. Although I think poetry is having a bit of a revival. There you go. And then maybe sound we are focusing on. I think we are a very oral kind of, yes. uh, 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 you know, people. And so let's oh. see what happens. Maybe Shakespeare will come back. So, so, from, so you're doing all this work at UVA. You're training. Then you go into Yale. It's very intense and all that. And then out of Yale, what do you, what do you discover from classical? Or you start to do more contemporary? You do both? How was your career sort of going at that point? Um, well, I waitressed. <laughs> <laughs> as does everyone else. You were a wonderful waitress. As was, as were all I was the so actors. good at waitressing. I did a lot of performative art there, performance yeah. art. Um, no, that was interesting. But I did, so right out of Yale, 
What was interesting is I had a really big lesson because I I got to play so many phenomenal parts and, you know, I was getting, the same time that I was getting this kind of uh, award for my work at Yale, the same one that, that Paul Giamatti got, and I'm like, oh yeah, Paul Giamatti and I have the same career. You know, he'd gotten <laughs> it the year before me and then I got it and I was so excited and then I did not get an agent at League Scenes. Hmm. So, because I did two classical plays and uh, I have no idea why, but I didn't, and I was devastated. However, I got a lot of casting agent re- response. So without having an agent, I still managed to book different things. And plus, I had five years between undergrad and grad, mm. and I made a lot of connections. Like, I knew Jerry Manning was mm. the casting. I don't know if you knew Jerry Manning, since you're a D.C. person. Um, sounds familiar, yes. He was wonderful. He was uh, the casting director at Arena Stage, mm-hmm. and I worked with him at Source Theater. I did a play. I did a Charles Bush play. Um, what was that called? Uh, Psycho Beach Party. Ah, oh my yes, I was going to say. He directed me in that. So he was now at New York Theater Workshop, and mm. and he said, Mercedes, why don't you come up to Dartmouth with us? We're doing this play, and blah, blah, blah. So I worked there. That was just a week. And while I was there, a friend of mine called who I'd worked with also at Arena, and she couldn't do Gwendolyn in um, uh, Importance of Being Earnest over at Weston Playhouse. And so I auditioned for that while I was there with Jefferson Mays. Do you know who Jefferson Mays is? I do. Yes, I just choreographed Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder here at uh, Little Theater of Alexandria. So I know Jefferson Mays was in that on Broadway. Yes, Yes. he was. Well, we weren't in the same play, but he was auditioning with me because he was up there too. And what a wonderful, wonderful actor. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so I booked that. And then I also booked the acting company um, oh. where I did a national tour. Nice. So and we did Arms and the Man and Henry V, really, and we went all over the country. That was really amazing and wonderful experience. And then I got back and nobody knew me. I didn't have an agent. And it was for a while there, it was hard. And I thought, wow, this is my big lesson that you can be doing really well on one end, but then you get out there and you're just another actor. Yeah. Um, yeah, they care that you're trained, and certainly in theater they cared a lot more, but they didn't know who I was yet. You know, right. I just arrived. Right. And and then in film and TV, they're confused by your name and the fact, you know, they you know this as a Latinx actor, and I don't know if we want to open this big can of worms, but just that what you look like and what they want and who they expect you to be and what some of the stereotypes are and everything um, can be rather confusing and Mm. limiting. Um, Oh, I totally understand that. And I think that for you, it's probably even worse than for me because my name was not very Latinx sounding at all. It's very German sounding. So, and then I look, I'm white, I'm pretty white. So nobody is shocked. But when your name is Mercedes Herrero and then you walk in and you're maybe not, you know, your skin's a and little I look like li- and Jenny. Yes, or, you your know. skin's a little lighter than they. You know, they're like, wait a minute, yeah, and it's really unfortunate because there is such a uh, lack of understanding that Latinx people come in all colors, shapes, and sizes. What? And, exactly. Um, there's it's it's America. I've always said this. You know, having not grown up in America, uh, you know, I grew up in Brazil, uh, where there there you know there's racism in Brazil for sure, but it's a yeah. it's they have a different understanding and it's much more multifaceted. Then in the U.S., it's like black, white. Nothing yeah. else seems to matter. And now they're starting to be like, oh, Latino. But Latino for them is Mexican, is Cuban, you know, the ones they know, right. Puerto Rican. And they don't get right. that there are people. And even in those cultures, of course, there are people who are yes. white <laughs> as well. well. And I think it's also a, an issue of what they're writing about. What are their yes. stories they're trying to tell? And a lot of times, you know, they they 
if you're doing New York acting and New York and, and Law and Order, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, New Yorkans and there's Dominicans, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's what they know. And it's also an education thing. They don't think they're starting to think a little more that Latin people can be uh, educated mm-hmm. <laughs> because I I can't a lot of uh, there's a, you know like in any other. Uh, group there's people that are working class there's people that are middle class there's people i cannot tell you how many times i was asked if i could have a slight spanish accent oh, i can imagine i did not i did not sound like what their idea which is also very limited what their idea of a of a latinx person was right, right. Yeah. It, it, you know it's usually rosie perez right. um yeah. you know it's like that they want you to talk like that and that sounds so i sound so phony when i try to do that right it's <laughs> not, it's not so your stupid. it's not your authentic self you know i had I, I was interviewing julio agustin a couple of weeks ago also yeah. and he said to me someone said you know oh you know can you be more puerto rican and he and his answer was, "No, I can't. I am a hundred percent Puerto Rican. This is as Puerto Rican as anyone can be." <laughs> right? Like, why can't you have shy Puerto Ricans or you know right. um, Puerto Ricans so who, who only love to read Kant or Puerto Ricans and, and Hegel? You know? <laughs> but the <laughs> fact that he his answer was so perfect, and I'm going to take That's it when right. he said, "Can you be I more?" Can't anymore. Yeah, I can't be anymore. And so, yeah, and I think that, you know, there is an expectation when they see a name and then they look at your resume and they look at your headshot and go, wait a minute. And then when you come in and you don't look. Yeah, so that must be really hard for you for casting. But I wanted to talk to you a bit. I know you've done a lot in between, but I wanted to focus, since we're talking about Latinx uh, representation a bit. Uh, and, and Latinx uh, artists who perhaps aren't identified as Latinx. I wanted to yeah. talk about your experience being in the original production of Moises Kaufman's yeah. The Laramie yeah. Project. Because first of all, everyone, or everyone, a lot of people listening know this play, The Laramie Project. It was turned into a movie later. Uh, I think it was HBO or Showtime. Uh, that you know, So people, it's, it's wide now. People know about The Laramie Project. They know about the, it's based on you know, uh, incidences surrounding Matthew Shepard and his death. But Moise, very few people know that Moises Kaufman is a Latinx director. He is. He's Venezuelan. Venezuelan. He's, he, he likes to say himself, you know, I'm Venezuelan, I'm Jewish, and I'm gay. So I'm like a triple threat. Yeah. <laughs> and so nobody knows what to, where to, what box to put him in, right? Which drives him crazy. Uh, yeah. So he, he, he checks all the boxes, except for maybe um, African-American. Right. He's not African. <laughs> so what, tell me a bit about your experience with the Laramie Project. What a great production uh, to be a part of. Oh my God, that was a, a, a life-changing uh, production to be a part of. And, you know, I, I like to say people have either watched a production of Laramie Project or if you're in the theater, you've done a production of, of the Laramie Project. It point. was, yes. in the odds, I think it was one of the most produced plays in America. It was Amazing. just done everywhere. And thank God it was done in high schools and colleges. It's such a play that was used as, a, as, a, as an educating tool. You know, Mm -hmm. there were people and and I'm just so honored and thrilled that it was done in these tiny, tiny little places in America where people would wanted to boycott it. You know, parents were coming in saying we can't do this play or or there was picketing. And then and the students were insisting on doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. because they wanted they wanted to 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 put a play out there that was about tolerance and acceptance and 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 the horror that can happen to somebody just because they're gay you know I mean, it was an amazing amazing experience just how touched people were by this play i remember when we did it um off broadway 
uh, I, every, I was recognized. It was amazing because it, it just was really popular that summer, even though we didn't run as long as we had expected. Um, and I would go to a museum and somebody would go, oh, my God, oh, my God, I just saw the Laramie Project. And, and they would put their hand on their heart hmm. and almost start to cry and say, thank you. Thank you for that play. And I mean, you know, there are very few plays that I've been a part of that people have that kind of reaction to. You know, and as, as someone who's LGBT, uh, of the, from that community, I have to say, of all the plays that I can think of, and I know a lot of playwrights tried to write plays too, you know, because it's what they're yeah. feeling that, you know, but uh, not many, not all make major cultural shifts. And um, for the, I think the Laramie Project was really one of the most successful, as you said, in, in changing the minds of people and perhaps opening up some doors uh, through theater yeah. because of the, yeah. the nature of the play, because it's testimonials, because it's right. The, the, there's an original way to the, to the way the play was put together, right? Absolutely. And I, I think it was happening as the events were unfolding. Yes. This is what's so amazing. I mean, they, they were they were they were writing the play as history was happening. You know, they were going mm. to the trials and then going and workshopping the material they had. Mm. You know, it was it was written by the whole company. You know, I they lost an actor, so I I came in uh, when they were about to premiere it in Denver, and they'd only written two out of the three acts so far. Wow. So when I came in, I thought I was gonna you know do we were going to do the reading of the play right. <laughs> and and yeah. they they were doing these little out of sequence moments and i was like what the heck is that what are we doing here what is this is this a play i i wasn't that familiar with uh the avant-garde with uh experimental theater so it was very which is another thing that's so amazing about it is that it has elements of downtown a lot of elements of experimental theater at the same time that it has this kind of uptown um, a format to it. I mean, mm. they were so meticulous about what went where. That's great. It reminds you know? me a bit of, speaking of Joe Papp earlier, of what he did with a chorus line where there, well, what Michael Bennett did with the chorus line, which was a workshop of a lot of interviewing all these different actors and putting it yeah. together to have a script created that way. Absolutely. Through, com you know, Absolutely. through committee, really. Uh, but yeah, it, it, was, it was filmed by committee, which is kind of how they do TV and film, but theater is not done that way at all. It's how so? How, how, explain that more. Well, when you think about comedy and, um, you know, when you read about old shows old, or any shows, they're all written by a group of writers, right? Mm -hmm. In a room, I mean, writing room, yeah. You think that it's uh, Tina, Tina Fey, and yes, she writes some episodes, but then she's got her writers and they contribute. Sometimes it's written by one, sometimes it's written by another. Yeah. And you then know, there's I, the actors contributing, probably there's some improv in some of the shows. Yeah. Some of the comedy shows are, have a lot of improv to them as well. And they call from life, you know, yeah. like I remember reading about one, one sitcom where they were saying, okay, so, so what's it like to go through menopause? Let's write about, <laughs> you know, Sybil going through menopause or something. Right. And, and uh, which is a lot I can, I can talk about, but anyway, we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other podcast for Sadie. <laughs> and anyway, so I, you know, that's, I love that about comedy that yeah. it's so, so of the moment and of your life. And, and that's what they did. I mean, Moises talks about how this, terrible incident occurred and the whole you know for once i mean gay people were being killed um left and right and still are it's not something mm -hmm. that is over by any chance unfortunately sure. but this one drew particular attention because even though he was not crucified we found out later because he was tied to a fence i remember people had this image of him mm. 
you know, in this Christ-like position. And and the fact that he was beautiful and young and white, you know, Mm -hmm. contributed, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately or unfortunately, in the sense that had he been black or Hispanic or Asian, would the, would the country have paid so much attention? Or a trans woman. Yeah, or a right. trans woman. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So there was a lot of, uh, uh, there was this zeitgeist mm-hmm. that the whole country was kind of like a, a little bit of a George Floyd moment where the whole country was like, this is enough. This right. is too much. Well, we can't and then, take this And if you recall, it sort of ran into sort of the, the second term of the George Bush, Dick Cheney administration, where they were really using in order to win that second term, uh, gay people as a wedge issue, you know, and the gay marriage potential for gay marriage as a something to scare people or gays in the military, things like that. And they were really trying to scare people to vote for them. And it worked. And um, there was still a lot of that. So this play really came at a really hot time where it was. And I think we probably wouldn't have gotten to marriage equality down the road if it hadn't been for this important play. Oh, well, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So and, you must have been so think, to be a part of that original production. Oh, my God. Been. And Judy Shepard and the Matthew Shepard mm-hmm. Foundation, which if any of your listeners can give to, is a wonderful organization that keeps fighting mm-hmm. uh, hate in America. Um, mm-hmm. She's amazing. She helped a lot as well. I can imagine. She, yeah, she's probably part of the process. Oh, yeah. She's, so, she's amazing. So you yeah. have this wonderful experience with Moises uh, Kaufman yeah. in the Laramie Project, which is probably must have felt when you were doing it. Okay, this is one of the reasons I went to to Yale School of Drama, or one of the reasons I went to study theater, right? I can imagine yeah. that was probably... So how long between that and then when you performed on Broadway in The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, another very unique play? <laughs> A long time. time. <laughs> so in that in-between, we'll talk about Curious Incident in just a second. So in that in-between, what what did you struggle? Was it tough to find? Did you head towards no. TV, TV and film? Did you, what did, what happened? Well, let me tell you, the, w- one of the funny things that happened was that um, I did get a little bit of exposure, you know, my little 15 minutes after we um, did Laramie Project. And I, I was cast in a, a Woody Allen movie and uh, um Al Pacino movie and my scenes were with both my scenes were with Woody Allen and my scene was with Al Pacino and I was so excited and I'm like oh wow I've got you know I'm really taking off now and then um and then my agents call me you know months later and say Mercedes we have some bad news I said what what you've been cut from both those films oh my. I'm like what could you can yeah, you share can you tell us what films or is that a, would you get like sued? Oh yeah, oh no no no. Well, one of them was the one that Woody Allen has said is his least favorite of all his films. So maybe it was good that I was cut. What and he blames himself. He says everybody was great, but I was terrible. It was the Curse of the Jade Scorpion. Oh right, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And the other one uh, was People I Know with Al Pacino. Oh wow, okay, and yeah. I so had, you had that experience of being featured, featured in being... film, and then quickly unfeatured. <laughs> But I'm still credited. I get residuals from people I know, which is hilarious. That's wonderful. Um, And then I, yeah, what else? Oh, I got cast in Comic Potential at Manhattan Theater Club. That was Uh a really wonderful experience because I I had comedic roles. I like, I seem to alter between doing something really comedic and doing something very tragic, Hmm. uh, which is really fun because it's like a, a little breather, you know? Yeah, you can vary, vary a little bit. 
what you're yes, looking at. Yes, exactly. Wow. And that was really fun. It was about a, a, a robot, a, a, a guy who falls in love with a robot. And she, she was fantastic, the English woman who played her. Mm. Um, and then I did, so I did a lot of regional theater. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, oh, one of my dreams came true. Do you want to hear about that? Absolutely. Why? Who wouldn't? Yes, dreams coming true. <laughs> we all need that right now. Well, I you know, right? I um I lived in DC for 3 years and it, between undergrad and grad. And I would I was only able to get sort of um supporting parts in plays at Arena Stage and and I was like, "Oh, I really want to play a major part here." And and Jerry, who was the casting director at the time, said, "Merce, you really need more experience. You have to go to New York or you have to go to grad school, which is part of the reason I went to grad school. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, then I'll go to grad school and then I'll play a leading part in arena stage. And sure enough, nine years later, wow. <laughs> after I left DC, I was cast as Stella in a streetcar named Desire at arena stage. And I was, it wow. was so exciting. What production was that? Who directed that production? So that was, um, um, oh my God. Sorry to put you on the spot. It's okay. <laughs> it was, Yuri Ziska was, a, was in Philadelphia. This, he was a Hungarian director. Oh, wow. Wonderful. And he was really wonderful. But okay. he did a, ter- a very, he did kind of like an Eva Van Hove version of Street Carnival Center. Uh-huh. Like there was nothing yeah. New Orleans about it. It was like a black box. <laughs> right. You know, and we were all freezing cold, like we wore winter clothes, oh and gosh. and my friend the Scandinavian, the Scandinavian version, <laughs> the Scandinavian the version. Yeah, he said, "Sure, it's New Orleans, um, war torn Eastern European New Orleans." But, uh, <laughs> but hey, what's the difference? But really? hey, but, but we did. But it was it was great. It was very oh, exciting. Wow, at Arena, that's great. I, I was just asking because I wish I had seen it. Uh, oh yeah, it was in two thousand and two. Okay. Oh, all right. No, I could, wait a minute. 2001, because it was right before 9-11. Oh, wow. It was 2000. Okay. Wow. So you were in the area, in D.C. area during that. So, wow. So that's amazing. That is a dream. I mean, to be able to play a lead at Arena Stage, one of the preeminent, perhaps major, other than the Guthrie. Arena yeah. is probably the one of the most well-known and oldest um, regional theaters in the country. Yeah. Yes, it's phenomenal. And I was so thrilled that I was able to do that. It only took nine years. Hey. and. and thousands of dollars spent at grad school and yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that was good so you got to do that dream so then so how did you so i guess eventually over time you know you're you're ra- yes. you're, you're racking up all these credits you're off broadway yeah. credits you're at you're working at the public at intara manhattan theater club you're working oh. at union square and bam for you know that was laramie project right um but you're doing all these classical pieces you're also doing tv and film you're right accumulating yeah. that over time is that all was the culmination the, the, the performance on Broadway in Curious Incident? Because that is oh. also an interesting... Did you play the neighbor, the, 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 the yeah. lady who's the neighbor? Yeah. That's what I thought. I played Mrs. Shears. Mm-hmm. Here's what I have to clarify. When you, when you condense it all together, it sounds like I was working all the time and that there's this kind of progression. And an actor's life is feast or famine. Right, so you were on I and mean, off. Right. I was on and off. I mean, I pretty much average maybe six or seven months of work and five months of looking for work, mm-hmm. you know, a year. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I would tell my agents, you know, God, when am I, when am I going to have a, a, a career? They're like, are you crazy? You have a career. Cause I was thinking I needed to work, you know, the whole year. Right. And they're like, you know, the average actor works 12 weeks. The average a- actor's equity actor, AEA actor 
works 12 weeks, makes $8,500. At least this was a statistic I read a couple years yes, ago. Yes, thank you. Thank you for saying that and thank you for putting that out there. You're absolutely right. Working, the idea of a working actor. You are a working actor if you're working half half of the year and the other half you're preparing and training yeah. and, and auditioning for the next things to come. And then and you also- commercial. Yeah, you booking know, commercials. Like, yeah. And, and that rides you, That that's fantastic. I booked a commercial called Stride Gum with, yes. with Jim Parsons before he was Jim Parsons. Oh, wow. And all I had to do was go, you know, ka-ching and make this funny face when they say, stride gum is a hit. Mm-hmm. You know, stride gum, the ridiculously long-lasting gum. And I used to say, the ridiculously long-lasting residual check. <laughs> right, because then I know all my friends who do, um, who are oh. actors who do commercials, love it, love it, love it, love it. Oh, it's the best. And it took me 10 years to book a really good commercial. Wow, yeah. It takes you time know? to get in there and but, get into the right... Oh, my God. Right. Oh, my God. It was so, I was so lucky. I was felt... You know, it happened right at the right moment. I think I was thinking I had to leave New York. I couldn't afford it anymore. So because, I was going to ask you this. Did you, was, yeah. uh, it sounds from everything that you've talked about so far, it, I don't get the impression, and maybe I'm wrong, that Broadway, yeah. Broadway was really a thing for you that wasn't a goal of yours. Or am oh, I wrong? God, no. No, how yes. could I get on Broadway? I wasn't yeah. famous. I don't sing and I don't dance. Right. This it wasn't is the miracle theater. of booking a Broadway show. <laughs> yes. So, but then you book a Broadway show. How did that come about? Yeah. Yes. Well, let me just say that I was supposed to be on Broadway in 2001. I, in 2001, I did a, a play written by and starring the phenomenal, marvelous Lynn Redgrave. Oh, my gosh. The Mandrake Group. And we, we were going to premiere that on Broadway. And I was so excited. And um, then she got cancer, God bless her. Oh, man. And she ended up doing another couple of plays. I don't even know how she did it, but for, but it was decided that that was not going to happen. And I thought, okay, there goes my great Broadway debut. And then I was living in Chicago. Here's the big irony of things, right? I'm living in Chicago because I couldn't afford New York anymore. I had a small child, and my friend said, come to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, of course, what I didn't know when I went to Chicago is that they cast things a year in advance. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> so I spent a year twiddling my thumbs, doing some readings. And then I said, you know, I think I'm just going to quit acting. Uh, I can't, you know, I don't want to go back to New York. It's too hard with a little kid and everything. And and then my agent said, hey, you want to audition for this Broadway show? And I said, are you kidding? Of course I'll audition for a Broadway show. And um, and I did. And it was for the part of Mrs. Shears and Mrs. Gascoigne, mm-hmm. who is the teacher who won't give him, doesn't want him to take the A-levels, you mm-hmm. know, because because of his autism or whatever. She doesn't think he can do it. And then she lets him do it. And of course he nails it. Um, I hope that wasn't a spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the play. But it's <laughs> a lot of people have probably seen it at this point or read the book as well. It's a very popular book that it's based on, right? Yes, I know. Wasn't it? It's a brilliant book. I yes, love the book. So it's much. a great book. And so I booked that and I had to move from Chicago to move, move back to New York <laughs> under the best of circumstances. <laughs> you know, life tells you what you need to do. Uh, Sometimes you have other ideas and life's like, nope, you're going to do this. So you get, you get, you get the part. Um, and so were you part of the original cast or were you replacing someone? No, I was part of the original cast. Amazing. It was fantastic. Yeah. I, and I was so nervous because I had to do a movement audition, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I haven't had any dance. To my, I mean, I tried a little bit of dance, but I, I was so worried. They made me, um, uh, they made me find the 10. Okay. So the song was, um, um, say something I'm giving up on you. Right. Which right. I probably was completely flat when I sang that. I'm so sorry. No, that's, you were great. So it's like a pop, it's a pop song. 
right? Yes. And I had to find that it was a 10, it had 10 instead of eight counts. It was a 10 count. Mm. And I had to move when I heard the 10 count. And I, I somehow I did it right. <laughs> Probably you, I, you didn't, you just went with it instead of trying I to sit there. I just went with it. Yeah. I just went with it. And um, um, yeah, she was a wonderful uh, assistant choreographer. And I can't remember her name because I'm in that, we talked about menopause before. Well, so that's how <laughs> You're bringing and, it back uh, around. <laughs> so, so you have this great audition, you know, this audition that you were a little scared of for the movement. Yes, but I, I managed to, um, to get a call back and I, I think I had to fly there twice wow. from Chicago <laughs> and, and I got the call back and I, and I booked it and it was, you know, one of those incredible moments in my life. And I, I moved back to New York with my little three-year-old at the time and we ran 800 performances um it was was we won the tony i mean it was amazing and i I worked with an extraordinary group of people and marion elliott i I got to be directed by by her and i i went to see it i saw it in new york on broadway yes and i have to go look at my playbill because i have a feeling that you were in it when i saw it i just didn't know you I didn't I know. Hope so. yeah. I missed a few performances, but not that many. Yeah, I hope. I think and, you um, were in. What, what would be interesting to know is if you did it with Alex Sharp or Tra- Taylor Trench. It was Mr. Sharp. Ben. Mr. Sharp was still in the role. I saw yes. it, I believe, before the Tonys. Oh my God! And Jan Barford was in yeah. it. And um, uh, Helen Carey. Yes, he was a wonderful. Uh, um, actress from dc area yeah. for a long time tony right? tony nominated actress yes you know that she and i were in yerma together I did at not know that. arena in 1991 wow. yes helen and i were in follies together at signature theater oh my god in 2003 yeah so here we go so listen we could do a whole we should you know, do a, a mercedes stefan uh podcast because <laughs> apparently we have a lot in common but that we didn't know about but so we're talking about so you get to go into the curious Instance of the dog in the nighttime uh, you, you get to originate a role on Broadway, which was not a dream of yours, but it was something that happened. Oh, no. and, you know. Well, actually, you're right. It was not a dream of mine, but I was happy that it happened. Let me tell you. Yeah. I think the most exciting thing for me was that um, people like Noel Coward, Marlon Brando, I was looking at the list of people who had premiered shows at the Barrymore and it, mm. you know, from the eight, 18 or 1900s, and it was just so exciting to know that I was a part of that legacy that made me incredibly happy. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. It, that's, that's one of the thrills of being on Broadway is like just the history of it, you know? Yeah. You're sitting the, in the dressing room of XYZ probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was this old banana that was <laughs> this old banana that we found backstage. And somebody said they wondered if it was Marlon Brando's banana when he had left it there. <laughs> so we would, it was just all brown it was a method, and black. It was, it was a method yeah. banana. Nobody knew. Nobody knew where it came from. Like that's the Marlon Brando banana. He left it there one time on a break, and it's been sitting there for eighty years. <laughs> well, I'm glad that, that that was one of the things that you guys were discussing. That's fun. Yeah. Something to yeah, do backstage. So you have all these wonderful experiences. If you look at it, it really is a lot of variety of different kinds of work that you've been doing over the years. But like you said, it's been over a thirty year plus career. So of course, you don't want people to walk away with the impression that acting is easy or that acting is something that just the roles just come rushing in for everyone and you just sit at home waiting for the phone to ring, which, 
you know, I mean, you might sit at home waiting for the phone to ring, but then it doesn't. You, you do, you do sit, you do wait for your agents to call. <laughs> uh, quite but, if, a bit. but they don't call a lot, right? So you've got to get, you got to take what you can when it comes. Um, and, 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 but are you happy? So now, 30 plus years on, it may not have been the way you envisioned it, but is, did it end up being better in some way? You know, that's a wonderful question. Um, I think so. Yes. I mean, I envisioned here's how here's how high my bar was. I was like, hmm, I want to be the next Meryl Streep. <laughs> well, it's good to have high goals. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if you aim that high, you know, anything you, you get, you just think, oh, well, that was good. You know, I mean, if I had aimed lower, maybe I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gotten anywhere, right. you know, and I, but, but you stop thinking that way after a while. What I, what I really thought was, I am so excited to be doing these, because um, I was a comparative literature major in college. Mm. And for me, reading novels and, and, and great writing and a, a, a phrase well-placed that captures the essence of what it's like to be human or be alive, that is what really excited me about theater. And, and so I got to do that. I got to do that. I got to play Paulina in Winter's Tale and Gertrude and Hamlet and be a part and still do new plays. And oh my God, it's been so varied. Right. It's the creativity and the projects. You kind of look at it project by project rather than I have to have this career that's constantly moving and going and and, right. You're, You're less worried about that now. Well, I mean, I don't think Meryl Streep has done 108 plays. So there. That's right. <laughs> that's right, Meryl. You know I mean? Take that. Like, Take I that. did plays, and yeah. that's where my love right. really was. No, 108 Take plays. That, Meryl. Yeah, 108. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of plays. That's a lot it's of plays. It's a lot of plays. And in a variety, <laughs> in a wide variety of types of plays, right? Yeah. So we were talking earlier classical <laughs> to contemporary to comedy to, to intense drama. And, you know, listening to your podcasts, which I did right before I, I came on, I'm reminded of how amazing and wonderful theatrical people are, the producers and the, and the, and the stage managers, and in the, in the camaraderie that you get when you're doing live theater. Yes. And when you're working with these people who want to put on a show, you know, and make people happy and entertain them and move them. It's just an amazing world to, to live in. Yeah. And I just feel like I've been so privileged to be able to do that. And it makes me sad right now because it's not happening. Right. And it's- we can talk about, you know, a little bit of, you know, there's a pause. We're all on a pause. But what, you know, I had, I, know. Um, I talked to when my I- friend Jared Bradshaw and his wife, Lindsay Northern, who are used, you know, are now living in Florida, but at one point were, were, you know, working Broadway actors as an everyday going from, you know, doing one show oh, to another God. show, swings or understudying or covering yeah. roles with a young child living in New York. And then going, you know, now it's all it's all shut down. But then, oh they, but God. then, a Lindsay says something really smart, which was, you know, it's not like everyone else is getting to perform, and I'm not. We're all in the right. same boat. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. So, and and you know, we're lucky we have places to go and 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 people to help us. Those of us who do, yeah. because if that was your your main income or all the people whose main income, you know, these other essential small businesses that have closed. I mean, I think of my favorite gelato place that's closed here in Charlottesville. Sure. I'm like, I hope they're doing okay. I mean, right. people are suffering. It's, yeah. it's hard. It's a tough you time. Know? So it's hard for us to think about just theater, but then we have to think about, it's not just theater, right? All the people working in theater, they're all the, the livelihoods, right? Oh, it's incredible. It's so devastating. Box so let's office hope that staff. That bill passes. Let's yes. hope that bill passes. The bill is hopefully passing. Let's see if they can get their, their act together. No pun intended. Yes. <laughs> They can do some, if only they were 
as cooperative as we are in that's, the theater. That's right. If they could learn, so they could learn a thing or two. Let me tell you, collaboration. So I, let's talk a bit about, so now looking back on this career, and you've got a lot of career still to go as a woman uh, of a quote unquote certain age. You certainly have, you know, a lot of your life ahead of you still. And in women who live longer than men, you have um, a lot of interesting roles probably to look forward to if you want them um, as you get into a, a different age bracket and category. But if you could go back, what is something that you'd want to tell young people now that you wish you had known back then as you were saying you were getting off, you know, going off, you know, from Yale uh, between undergrad to Yale, you know, when you wanted to be in something at arena stage, that was your dream. So what, but what do you want young people to know that you wish you had known back then? Oh my God. You know, young people today are so much savvier than I ever was. Right. This, this whole technology thing, they just get on the computer and make their own work. Uh, it's crazy. They're, yeah. They're incredible. I, incredible. I don't think they need my advice. <laughs> no, I'm teaching. You said you're teaching students. I'm teaching students too, college students. And I'm always Aren't like, you made by them? Aren't I'm, you amazed? Most of the time I just sit back and watch them and go, okay, well you guys go ahead. Cause <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they're so gun ho and positive and, yeah. and, and they make their own work. They're not waiting around for people to tell them what to do. I mean, the girl who did my website, um, uh, Oh gosh, what is her name? I'm so bad with names. Uh, it's an odd name too. Anyway, she's 22 mm -hmm. and she's fantastic. She's already, you know, got a job at a theater, even when there's no theater, right. you know, she's, she's doing streaming with some group in Virginia right. and, um, Peyton, Peyton Molador. There we go. Oh, I plugged her. Nice name. Okay. Great name. <laughs> I know it's great. And I'm learning from her. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she's yeah. her own company. She's got an LLC. Oh, I'm like, they are oh, so, oh, they're yeah. so on the ball, but so, but, but. Nevertheless, I bet there's something you could tell you could tell them. What 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 did you learn then from you know? It seems like you're already getting to some of these realizations now, as you just said. You know, things didn't work out the way you maybe thought they were going to work out, but they've worked out a different way. What what would you tell someone if, if what would you tell or maybe your younger self if you were coming right off the bus to New York? What would you say? Um, what would I say coming up? See, I was thinking about another thing. Or the train. Or the train. I was thinking about, train, I was thinking about how I do want to tell my students because I am shocked mm -hmm. when they don't know who Betty Davis is ah. or who Igbar Bergman is mm. or Marina Abramovich or any, you know, I, I would say to them, get an education, like learn mm. from the masters, watch these amazing performances. Yes. Like they think, they think the 90s are old movies, you know. If oh, you, God help us. You know, <laughs> right? And well, I that's want you know, to know who Betty Davis and Catherine Hepburn and Ross and Russell and Greer Garson and all these people are. You know, yeah. and get, get some Olivier. get some framing. Frame where you are in the frame, context. Yes, of this. frame where you are. Um, know the background so mm. that when you create your own work, you know what you're working off against. And also look at the other arts. I learned so much from watching, from looking at art. I mean, I used to go to the Chelsea galleries and just see what what young people were doing, mm -hmm. and it is fascinating and and you learn about contrast and you you learn about an, antithesis and 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 energy and um just from looking at a painting and what they're doing inside it and that's what you want to work on in your acting you know i always translate another art into what i'm doing um what makes that work what makes a music piece work you know that's and great. and am i being where's the rhythm in this 
piece you know what's what are the colors and um when are you using a primary color when are you using a minor color you know it's so interesting and and i i i think that that's something they should do and also don't forget to live don't forget don't miss this is what i regret about what i've done i missed can you believe this i'm shocked i'm about to say it and i blame my director a little bit because he wouldn't let me leave the show because yes i should have warned him ahead of time but i missed my brother's wedding Oh, wow. Yeah, no, this is a common. What I you're mean, saying is a common I thing. Don't yeah. do that. If you can, yeah. just let them know ahead of time that you cannot do that show or you're gonna, your understudy is going to have to go on on, right. you know, February 17th. That's why we let have them. understudies. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then and I gets an opportunity. And they get an opportunity. They get an opportunity, too. You're opening a door for them as well. So not only are you able to go to your brother's wedding, but that understudy gets a chance to do a role. For one exactly. And it's always exactly. amazing to me when when things like that. I think I think the business is changing a bit now. Uh, I yeah. hope and things are getting more flexible. People are starting to understand that there's usually a larger group of understudies or swings or there's some more support because people I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. If you don't have a life, what do you have to act about? I know. I know. And it's so easy to get absorbed in just surviving in this business that yeah. you forget to live your life, you know, fall in love, stay in love. I know it's hard. <laughs> I know it's hard when you're, I think when I, you're constantly going out of town. Yeah. You I know? think you've, you, you know, you have a child, obviously yeah. you've, you've taken your own advice over time to heart. I have. And, yeah. That's good. That must I be have. good. But also the young do this and I didn't do this. The five-year plan, the 10-year plan. I don't have any, I didn't have a plan. <laughs> Uh, right. man was like, you know, can I get out of bed and will my agent call? Right. Well, you know, but again, sometimes things work out for the best over time anyway. And then you realize, thank God I didn't have all these yeah. roles back to back to back to back because you wouldn't have had any that's time. That's true. But at least if you try to have some control over your life, you know, yeah. um, maybe some of that will come true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I did. There, there was a point where I thought, should I go to Hollywood or maybe should I should I put the energy out there that I want to do more Shakespeare or more classical work? Mm-hmm. And I just I started writing in my journal about how I wanted to do more classical work. I decided that I wanted that more than Hollywood because, again, my interest in language. And it, I tell you, the universe moved me in that direction. I I, I started to book all these Shakespeare plays. Mm. So so it wasn't like I had a, a plan or I was like in three years, but I did I did think out loud and manifest these, you know, Oprah-like thoughts. Like, I'm going to manifest this. You put it out there. You put it out into the universe, as Oprah would say, right? And then by doing that, it it, it does come back. It does echo or ripple. It does. It really does. Or maybe you find yourself just leaning in that direction, like really preparing for that Shakespeare audition. Yeah. Whereas you might not have if you're mentally thinking about going into Hollywood. Right. You know, you're like fully present, fully present. So in some ways you did have a bit of a plan, even if it wasn't an outright written down on paper plan. It was a men- it was a it was a spiritual plan. A spiritual plan, exactly. Oh, love it. Well, listen, we have to go, Sue, because we're almost out of time. It went so fast okay. talking to you. But I, before we go, I do, before we wrap up, I do want to ask you, since you mentioned you were you had auditioned for something online, um, do you have any online projects coming up or any live ones in 2021 that we could look forward to? And if so, how can people find out or reach you or follow your career online um, if they oh, want to? You're so sweet. Um, Yes. Well, I have a website. That's one of the things I've been doing here in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, com. Although I don't have anything about news about me, but um, it's a lot for coaching and things like that. Okay. Um, but I do have a, uh, I am in the, in the workings of a new play by a 
Catherine Pillou that um, we are in negotiations with the theater that we might be doing it once the lockdown is over in an off-Broadway theater. Mm. Um, so hopefully we'll be looking forward to that. It's about an artist named Claudia Bernardi, who is this amazing artist. She and her sister is a forensic anthropologist who um, goes around uh, different graves of mass, where mass murders have occurred, like in Argentina. They're both from Argentina. Mm. And... Um, and and uncovers the dead and um and identifies them it's really incredible wow. and then the sister i know the sister has done paintings based on these things that are these extraordinary paintings and she also does murals with people that have been traumatized and you know she she does all this human rights work and we're thinking of making a one woman show about her life so that's really interesting that's something i'm working on wow so these are all and, projects that hopefully will happen yeah. next next season Exactly. 2021, 2022. 2021, 2022. And then I don't know what else is happening yet, but we're working on it. So if someone, if someone wants to just find out the latest thing, MercedesHerrero.com. Also, you mentioned coaching. So are you doing a lot of acting coaching and how can people, do they just write you, shoot you an email or do they just go on your website? There's a little um, place on my website where you can request for a coaching. There's a little, you send your email and I ask a few questions about, you know, to direct where, what you're working on and what you want me to work on That's great. with you. Now, do you so, work on any, any kind of acting? Because you've done all, a bunch of different... Any kind of acting or public speaking, because I've taught uh-huh. public speaking uh, to Microsoft and Raymond James, you right. know, to business people. So any or, age, any profession, any it's wide age, open. Any per- for actors who want to get into conservatories, that's a really good way to go because I can yeah. recommend pieces for you. Yeah, they got to work. They got to work on their pieces. Yeah, and I, exactly. I have a lot of students that might be heading in that direction, so I'll, I'll send them to. Oh, you. please do, please do. <laughs> so, Mercedes, it's been fantastic talking to you. I'm so oh. glad we got to talk, and thank you so much for be, being on American Theater Artists Online. I feel like we'll have to catch up with you in the next couple seasons as we progress hopefully on on this podcast and see what exciting projects you're doing in 21 and 22. Thank you so much, Stefan. It's been lovely. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Muchas gracias. De nada. Gracias a ti. Un besito. Besos. Chao, chao.